Hey, listeners, just wanted to talk to you about some exciting content that we have coming up. Our season one is winding to a close, at least for us recording these. And (laughs) we are thinking about taking some time off in January, but we don't want to leave you without laughs. Get it? Love it for screening laughs it would be like denying a plant sunshine chelsea cruel and unusual exactly so we do have a couple of bonus content episodes that'll be coming at you in january before we are back with you starting february 1st it's the first wednesday in february with season two but this is where we need your help One of our bonus episodes will be like a retrospective. We're going to look back on the films that we watched in season one. We're going to do some fun stuff. We're going to talk about the couples. We're going to talk about our discussions, the fun jokes that we've had and made along the way. Madison might share our villain origin stories, how this podcast came to be. I'm going to embellish it horribly. It's going to be a fun episode. And this is where you all come in. We would love to hear from you. So you can write in, send us an email to loveitfirstscreening at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram at loveitfirstscreening. You can also go down to the bottom of any of the episodes. The last link is anchor.fm slash Love at first screening slash message where your voice can literally be heard. You can record us a voice memo and we can include it in the podcast if that's something you're interested in. And what are we looking for, Madison? Gosh, we are looking for any fixes that they would like to propose. They can tell us how we got something wrong. More importantly, they can tell us how we've done everything right as we are perfect human beings. They can propose pretty much anything as long as they don't propose to us. <laughs> I'm a commitment phobe, Chelsea. If I'm ever going to have a proposal, I'm going to be the one proposing. And, you know, for me personally, if you have any conspiracy theories about romantic comedies in general, that'll really fuel the energy that I've been going for <laughs> this whole season. I'm trying to convince people that these movies are not the feel-good films we think they are. I think there's something more sinister happening. You can help me in this noble cause by writing in, sending us a voice message. But seriously, we'd really like to hear from you. So if you're interested in contributing to that bonus episode that will premiere sometime in January when we take a little bit of time off before season two, please send us an email, a DM, or the voice message by Sunday, December 18th. And if you are sending us a message, a written, please let us know if you would like any of your identifying information included, whether that is a first name, full name, social security number, your bank routing and account number, Uh, We can air any of that or air none of it if you would rather. And if you are leaving a voice message, uh, please know that that gives us license to play it on the air and remix it so it sounds like a cool hit pop song. Which we totally have the skills to do. I'm a mix and master. That's not true. I had to Google the other day. How to match volumes in tracks. 
I was just impressed I knew how to Google. It's honestly a skill that's in short supply these days. I've been trying to teach my grandmother how to copy and paste for years. But in all, please keep in mind that your deadline is December 18th. We really would love to hear from you. Uh, Love to hear what you can contribute. So if you would like, please do. And now into the episode. Hello and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom-com enthusiast Madison, introduce my friend, co-host, and resident genre skeptic Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel-good. Cliché. Romantic. Questionable. Hilarious. Occasionally humorous. Films she's never wanted to watch. So this week, Chelsea, we have a double whammy of it being special. Yeah, because there's two couples. No, actually, this week is special because, first of all, it's the holidays, so we had to watch something on theme. But more importantly, we have a guest because we have both seen the movie this go-round. It's true. Per our tradition, rules, however you want to put it, that means that we have to bring someone on who has never seen the movie. And this week, I have the honor of introducing you to my little sister, Serena. Hello. So, Serena, we like to ask this, um, but just to introduce everyone to you, what's your relationship with rom-coms? I love rom-coms, honestly. Do you have favorites in mind? Do you have one that just really brought it all together for you? I don't think so. I think, like, our mom likes them so much. That, like, I just kind of grew up with different rom-coms always being on. Would you equate it to Stockholm Syndrome? (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. But something like it. Maybe. Well, I happen to know for a fact that you did actually watch this with our mom uh, when you were viewing it. So just to bring it full circle for you, we actually made sure that you could have that experience. Oh, thank you. You're so welcome. We did organize it. It took... A lot of phone calls, so many faxes. We had to buy a fax machine. You had to buy a fax machine? Yeah, we actually had to time travel back to the 1980s and purchase one. Mm, right. But in all, Chelsea, I don't know if you knew this, but this week we're watching The Holiday. Gosh, shit. I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> I'm just, I'm joshing you. <laughs> so we are watching The Holiday and Chelsea... In new banter fashion as well, I wanted to ask you a sort of off-the-wall question, which is if you could choose to take over the role of any lead character in a classic Christmas movie, but play yourself. You're not, like, playing the role of the character. The character becomes you, but all of the events of the movie play out just the same way. Mm, that's a really interesting question. I'm also trying to think of a Christmas movie other than Elf, which I brought up, I believe, in the first episode. So I think the listeners will just think if I say that, that I've never seen another Christmas film, <laughs> which is not true. I have seen at least one other one because I've seen this one, but surely I've seen more. Honestly, I'm going to go with The Grinch because... I don't have to be as mean as him. I don't have to like steal anything, but I can live on a mountain in peace and never talk to another living soul. I can be as grumpy as I want and I have a dog. So like, where where's the flaw in this plan? 
I don't see one. I think that sounds great. I would want to, I don't know, because my favorite Christmas movie is Scrooged with Bill Murray. If you've ever seen it, it's basically just a Christmas carol, but with Bill Murray. I think I would want to do that mostly because there's this scene where I think it's Carol Kane. She hits him in the face with a toaster. And I think that it would be both a privilege, an honor, and a blessing to be hit in the face with a toaster by Carol Kane. I was going to say I could see you being the one that hits him in the face with the toaster. That's so nice. You're welcome. Gosh. Do you have an answer? Do you know what Christmas movie you would like to be in? To be honest, I'm completely blanking on all Christmas movies I've ever seen right now. It's the thing I keep telling people. The minute you ask me a question, it's like I've actually never known anything before in my life. It's true. It's kind of like when people are like, oh, hey, can you review this for me? I'll be like, I'm sorry, I don't know how to read. Because in that moment, I'm certain I don't know. It's like the Nick Miller quote from New Girl. He's like, I'm not convinced I know how to read. I've just memorized a lot of words. Exactly, exactly. Serena's actually been on a New Girl kick recently. The texts that I get from her are basically like, I'm sobbing and breaking down at this. And then I'll get one like 40 minutes later that will just read, I'm fine. Everything's okay now. Yeah. And the thing is, when I send you those texts of me like absolutely sobbing, you're like, have fun. <laughs> I mean, is that not fun? You don't find that cathartic to just have a full menti beat? I mean, it's nice to have a mental breakdown about things that aren't real. That's fair. I'm, yeah, I'm too busy having breakdowns over stuff that is real. Maybe in like a live, laugh, love perspective. I need to shift that mentality. All right, Chelsea. I think it's time that I actually tell everybody what this movie is about. Excellent, because as I established earlier, I've actually not watched it. I got the movie wrong. What did you watch instead? I thought it was that Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, just to bring it back to a classic. <laughs> they go to like Rome. Isn't it like the holiday? Isn't isn't that? No. I think actually, I think it has a completely different title. <laughs> You know, I will say that Chelsea's knowledge of everything Mary-Kate and Ashley is truly astounding, puts me to shame, and makes me feel like I didn't have a childhood. But the thing is, it keeps throwing me off because this is not an obsession. Like, my my Buffy knowledge, I understand where that comes from. But why in the deepest recesses of my noggin have I held on to the Olsen twins in all of their filmography? I'll never know. And that's okay. That's okay because it's in your heart and that's the only place it matters. <laughs> so for anyone who opted to not watch the movie, which again, respect to those who just decide to listen to us talk about it. Uh, this film was directed by Nancy Myers. She's a well-renowned director of some truly amazing and truly terrible films including Private Benjamin, Father of the Bride, Part 1 and 2, The Parent Trap, featuring Lindsay Lohan, the 1998 version, What Women Want, which we may have to cover one day, but by God, it'll be a dark day, Something's Gotta Give, It's Complicated, and The Intern. So this movie is set in two different primary locations, in Surrey and in Los Angeles. After learning the man she loves is engaged, Surrey girl Iris, played by Kate Winslet, finds refuge to heal in an unlikely way. She swaps homes with a similarly unlucky in love Californian Amanda, played by Cameron Diaz, who is also in need of a break. 
Iris finds herself in a palatial L.A. mansion while Amanda tries to recenter herself in a small English cottage. In a whirlwind of wine and carefree attitude, Amanda sleeps with Iris's absolutely delectable brother Graham, played by Jude Law. Iris spends her time trying to get over her ex and co-worker Jasper and finds companionship and newfound comfort of an elderly neighbor, Arthur Abbott. Amanda's elderly neighbor and Oscar-winning screenwriter from the golden age of film. Amanda's whirlwind sexual escape with Graham quickly develops into a more romantic relationship. He finds out she hasn't cried since she was 15 during her parents' divorce, and she later discovers he's a widower with two young daughters. They begin to wonder if their relationship is too complicated to pursue. Back in LA, Iris's friendship with Arthur deepens and results in a friendship with film score writer Miles, played by Jack Black. Miles finds out his actress girlfriend Maggie is cheating on him and Jasper tracks Iris down to LA. Both forlorn at their terrible luck, Miles asks Iris to be his New Year's Eve date and they end up kissing. Returning to Surrey, Graham admits he's fallen in love with Amanda and they agree to try long distance. On the way to the airport, Amanda breaks down crying and runs back to Graham. Iris returns to Surrey with Miles and they celebrate New Year's Eve with Amanda and Graham, both couples happy in love. Excellent, excellent. Before we guess whether or not uh, Serena enjoyed this. Uh, I have a question for both of you because I recently was talking to someone about this film and they had a very different opinion than I do about Jack Black as a love interest. And so without giving away my opinion, I need to know what your thoughts are uh, with Jack Black in this film. So walking into this, I actually asked Serena to keep this question in mind while she was watching because I was also very curious. So I'm going to let her take this away. Okay, it was weird because all I've ever seen Jack Black in, he's been like comic relief. Like all he ever does on screen is just make jokes. And in this movie, I'm going to be honest, the way he talked about like film scores and stuff like that, he kind of reminded me of Ryan Gosling's character from La La Land (laughs) just like a little bit less pretentious so it was it was weird I've never seen him be that serious for that long and it was strange but you didn't find a certain sensuality about him um I think you're asking the wrong person for that (laughs) I mean it wasn't bad but I don't know it was weird I also thought it was so interesting. You have Jack Black as the love interest for Kate Winslet, right? And Kate Winslet is beautiful. And I'm not saying that Jack Black is unattractive in this role, but you also have the other actors being Cameron Diaz and Jude Law. And Jude Law is textbook female gaze, in my opinion. So it was really weird to have Jack Black offset all of that and I won't say that he was an unbelievable love interest in his acting performance but yeah I agree you set that next to like Tenacious D and School of Rock and it's odd I thought that he was fine in the role but it was very strange yeah like when I see Jack Black all I can think of is the new Jumanji movies and School of Rock so that's a very different vibe in this movie. Madison, I I hate to say this, but I think this is the moment that we actually break up. Um, <gasps> I We thought it was going to be when Harry met Sally, but how dare you? How dare? I'm not going to stand for a Jack Black slander 
I wasn't slandering him, I promise. I cannot believe my ears. Look, look, look. All I said was that it's weird to juxtapose him with Jude Law. I thought that his performance was compelling. (laughs) If you could see the, like, face that Chelsea is making right now, I wish that there were moments of this that we recorded and just gifted. I'm so upset. I don't remember who was saying this to me, but they're like, I just don't understand why Jack Black is in that movie. And I'm like, well, clearly you haven't seen it. Like, look, I know he's in a lot of comedies and he does a very specific type of thing. But also, okay, to bring this back, and I feel like I brought this up in another episode when I was talking about Melissa McCarthy, but I feel I wonder if Jack Black has the same problem. He is a larger man. Larger people are generally pigeonholed into comedy because we're supposed to laugh at fat people, which is horrible. Let's not do that. But I think this is an example of like, I love Miles. And honestly, I don't I, I believe that Jack Black was supposed to play that role. I think it was well casted. Those are my opinions. I enjoy him. I think he's really sweet and he is funny in this. It's supposed to be a romantic comedy. I mean, is it? I don't know. We'll we'll get there later. Uh, we don't ask those questions this far in advance, but <laughs> I'm ready to defend my man Jack Black when uh, <laughs> when it comes up later. No, I'm team Jack Black. It just, I think what throws me is the time period and when this was made and the way that movies were cast. I just want to know how he got the gig. Not saying he wasn't absolutely deserving of the gig and didn't play it to the best degree, but I just want to know, like, was it like an open casting call and he just threw his name in the ring? Or did they look at it and say, you know who I want this? I want this to be Jack Black. That's what I want to know. You know, there's a funny video I saw where someone was asking him on like a red carpet. This must have been in the last three to five years. They were like, what's your favorite holiday movie? And he gave an answer. And then they're like, oh, that's so nice. I, you know, you didn't even say your your own movie. And he goes, I was in a Christmas movie. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really just, well, so uh, even Jack Black forgets that Jack Black was in this movie. Chelsea, I know that you like this movie, period, because you agreed to watch it again for the sake of the pod. (laughs) Uh, You've seen it before. You agreed to watch it again and didn't, you know, tell me to lose your number. But Serena, I think that you really enjoyed this movie. I did. That was so easy. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I love that. So succinct. (laughs) I just like all rom-coms. I'm a sucker for them. Bold statement. Not, okay, okay, (laughs) not all of them. But most of the ones that I've seen, I really enjoy. Just because, I don't know, they just make me happy. Chelsea would like to know if you've ever seen You've Got Mail. I have not. Have you ever seen Never Been Kissed? I think I have, but it's been so long I don't remember anything about it. All right, all right, all right, we can move on. Starting from the top, we are first introduced to Iris. Hold on. I want to stop you there because the one thing that I thought was so weird and I've never noticed before, I've seen this movie many, many times. This is one rom-com that I've seen so many times I can't count. Okay. But one thing I did notice that I thought actually was weird storytelling is that we begin this movie with Jack Black. That is the first person you see. You see him scoring a movie. That's how we enter this story 
it's not Diaz or Winslet. The story begins with Jack Black, although the first narration that you get is Iris as Kate Winslet's voiceover shortly after. But there's like a solid probably like 20 to 30 seconds that you're hearing the score before she starts in. And I just thought that was really weird. You know what I mean? Like, yes, this is a rom-com. And yes, like Jude Law and Jack Black are both part of the love story. But the story is focused on these two women and neither of them are seen in the first scene. Yeah, I noticed that. And I thought that that was rude because like until Jack Black showed up, I was just like waiting for him to be there because I was like, because it opened with him. So I was like, okay, so he's going to be like, he's going to be in it a lot. But honestly, he, like he wasn't really in it that much, like comparatively speaking. The fact that I watched this less than a week ago and my brain has already rewritten it to just exclude that and jump straight to the to the holiday party. I mean, look, the way that it's done, I understand why the holiday party is the first thing that you remember. That's probably the first thing I remembered. But we've posited, Madison and I and, a, and our friend Emma, who you will have remembered from the last episode, who was a, a guest to discuss that strange crab movie. Serena's face was like, what the fuck, strange crab movie? I will not be elaborating. <laughs> but you two have posited that this is the only unproblematic rom-com. And so when I sat down to watch this, as much as I love this movie, my goal was to find a loose thread. Did I? Did I not? Well, we'll find out. But like, that's probably why I noticed it was because I was really paying attention to anything that looked out of place. Incredible. So... After we see Jack Black, (laughs) we cut to Iris and get the first look at what propels the initial point of the plot of she's still hung up on this guy, even though he's apparently been dating someone else. Like they broke up because he was seeing someone else while they were together and had to have been for a while because it progresses to the point of the announcement of their engagement at the office holiday party, which spurs her to want to leave for the holidays. While I don't really like the idea of her like knowingly still kind of fraternizing with him, it's left really open as to whether or not their relationship is still ongoing in spurts and it's really loose. There's moments where it sounds like she's not engaging with him like that. Like maybe they're just having more like flirty banter, but nothing else beyond that when she's talking to uh, one of her coworkers. But then when they are in her office by themselves, he makes like some kind of sexual comment advance towards her that leads you to believe that maybe it's not as done as she said it was with the coworker. So if we're looking for an a problematic beginning, I'd say we pretty much have one there, but it's really open for interpretation. I think that that's an interesting assessment. I don't know that it ever crossed my mind that she was still involved with him other than they are both colleagues and appear to have a very, I don't even want to call it a friendship. Honestly, this is... Emotional abuse is what it is. This guy is trash. What's his name? Jasper, which is a terrible name. You just know he's a douchebag. <laughs> Jasper. Honestly, you know what? Not to bring up Twilight, because, I mean, talk about trash, but he <laughs> didn't, he, he like toyed with people's emotions. That was like one of his vampy powers. 
And he was a Confederate soldier. Yeah, so garbage. And here we are. Jasper is toying with poor Kate Winslet's little heart. Yeah, he he keeps in touch and, and he crosses boundaries constantly. Like, he's like, well, how do I get in touch with you? And it's all to feed his own ego. Like, he's just, he's very aware that she's in love with him and will do these things for him. And I don't want to blame Kate Winslet. Like, I, I I'm not saying she's in the wrong, but I think, as you see through the film, she has to learn how to believe that there's something else out there for her. And like, this is not the only love, if that's what it was, that she will ever have. Uh, and she has to like, let go of of those feelings in order to move forward. Uh, and so, yeah, but it's very clear. Like, and then he, you know, obviously at the end of the, towards the end of the movie, he shows up, which just like, what? Ugh. And it makes me upset I'm not going to name names, but this this is reminds me of something that happened to a friend of mine not that long ago. And I'm just like, every time this fucker shows up, I'm just like, I'm going to throttle you. <laughs> like, leave her alone. Well, can confirm after having an ex who, like, made a break for it in the middle of the night. I come home from a dinner party and the TV's off the stand and, like, most of his shit from the dresser is, like, packed and gone. And then he comes back, like, a week and a half later to talk about how much of an asshole he was, I guess, but also talk about his dementia-riddled grandmother and how it upsets him. And I'm like... Why are you still talking to me? Take your shit and go. Men need therapy. Like, that's honestly the problem. No, no, no. Mm -mm. See, you and I, Madison, we both go to therapy. What? That's we. Serena does too. Great. Okay. The three of us right here, we go to therapy. That's us taking responsibility for the trauma and emotional baggage that we carry on our backs. We're not making it anybody else's problems. We're paying someone who is trained to unpack that and help us put it away or move on lighter bags. Take them with you. You know what I mean? Fill them up with something else. You can come back later. We can unpack it then. But men, for whatever reason, and I know I'm making a generalization, but like, I I don't know how many of these movies I watch and I'm just like, you need therapy. You know, just to bring it back to Buffy, I was just saying with uh, somebody I was watching Buffy with, I was like, Xander needs therapy. Honestly, I think he would really benefit. Maybe he wouldn't have been such a terrible little shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, healthiest relationship with a man I've ever had in my life, you know, in like a a romantic way, goes to therapy. I knew his therapist by name because he would be like, let me tell you what me and my therapist talked about. Amazing. And it wasn't like a, let me tell you so you can also psychoanalyze me. It's like, listen to this cool ass shit that me and my therapist talked about. Enlightened. This podcast is sponsored by therapy. <laughs> it is. But not at this time, BetterHelp or anything like that. And I'm <laughs> honestly kind of waiting for a documentary to come out on BetterHelp talking about how it was like a scam because the majority of their therapists aren't qualified. But that being said, if BetterHelp wants to sponsor <laughs> us, she'll gladly edit that out. <laughs> Correct. We will leave our morals behind. Look, we were sponsored by Bean Burritos, and neither of us want to support heterosexual agendas. So all we're saying is we would love to get paid. Correct. We'll donate 10% of all proceeds to a worthy cause, likely trans rights, but we can we can rotate it monthly. Great. All right. So we all agree Jasper's trash. 
Yes. And I also will say, though, that despite me kind of feeling a little bit hesitant about Iris as a character, about Kate Winslet's character, I think that she's my favorite female character in the movie. And I don't know if it's because I have a weird personal vendetta against Cameron Diaz, which I do. Why? I'm so glad you asked. Allow me to tell you. I used to work for a woman. Uh, She's my boss. And she looked remarkably similar to Cameron Diaz. And then she became like a raging QAnoner and referred to the January 6th insurrectionists as foot soldiers of Trump. So me and Cameron Diaz have, she's she's spoiled to me because every time I think about Cameron Diaz, I think about that boss. And then I think about all the terrible shit going on in our country. Wow. Fair enough. Yeah. So that's my personal vendetta. That's a lot of weight to put on Cameron Diaz's shoulders. But as I'm sure she's completely unaware of this, I think she can shoulder it. Yeah. She's got really tiny shoulders, though. She's built like a bird. You know, not to go off completely off topic, as we always do, but I was recently talking to someone about that. I saw a TikTok that was asking, what is the most famous person that's still changing their own duvet cover? Because, like, Oprah's not doing that. You know what I mean? Oprah, Oprah can't stomach the idea of the price of avocados, so she planted an orchard of avocado trees in her backyard. Like, that's the money she has. She's certainly not changing her own duvet cover. But, like, so speaking of small shoulders, you know, Cameron Diaz, if people have, you know, a a beef with her, you know, she doesn't need broader shoulders because, you know, she's probably got people, assistants, interns that were happy to, to help pull that behind her. You know what I mean? I think my answer is Jennifer Garner. She seems very down to earth. I think she changes her own duvet cover. Absolutely. Serena, who changes their own duvet cover? Florence Pugh. Absolutely. She's a queen. Okay, we have my feelings about favorite female character. Did you guys feel one way or the other in terms of the storyline, in terms of the character growth and character description and representation and everything? Do you have a preference of Iris to Amanda? I have always enjoyed Iris's story more, but also I aspire to one day live in Iris's picturesque little cottage in a snow-covered English countryside. I think that is peak goals for Chelsea. I'm Team Iris as well. I agree. But I did like that one scene of Cameron Diaz dancing to um, Mr. Brightside. That was very real. Do you think that she sort of like ad-libbed that scene? Or did do you think they were like, all right, half choreographed, go wild? I think they just kind of let her at it. I mean, I think... Anyone with a brain was like, well, this white woman won't be able to dance. And also the killers (laughs) is not really dance music. So perfect combo. Anything can be dance music if you want. I love that attitude, Serena. Thank you for bringing that light to this show. A fun fact about Serena is that she was actually a a trained dancer for over a decade. Seven seven years. What kind of dance? Everything. Um, I did ballet, jazz, lyrical. I had to do a hip-hop dance one time. I was an understudy for a hip-hop dance. And the girl that I understudied for had to go to her brother's wedding for a dance competition. So I had to do it. And it was terrible. I hated it. 
I did flamenco dancing. Interesting. I really wish there was a visual element, Madison. That was <laughs> meme worthy, <laughs> truly, that face you just made. Well, I was just so surprised. Although I will say that Serena never did uh, tap dancing because it was too loud. That's not true. The first year that I danced, it was a combo ballet tap class. And that was the only way that I could take ballet was a stupid combo class. So I had to take it. And giving a bunch of seven-year-olds tap shoes is hell on earth. It sucked so bad. It was so loud. I love tap dancing. Like... I love percussion. That's like the best thing. Give me a beat, sir. You know what I mean? I went and saw this. I don't know what was this show. My my roommate got free tickets to this thing and we went and I heard them in the distance. I went, oh my God, those are tap shoes. And I got so excited. They're a group of tap dancing men and one of them had a mohawk. And it. I had the best time I've ever had in my whole life. I love tapping. It's drums for your feet. Yeah, tapping is good when people who know what they're doing do it okay i yeah a seven-year-old i agree with you yeah that was just it was loud all the time and my little brain could not handle it honestly i still can't handle it yeah one of my favorite things that serena does as a fully formed adult is whenever there is a loud noise she instantly covers her ears like a small child i still cover my ears when i flush the toilet so <laughs> i didn't know not that i've been in a bathroom with you while you're flushing so that makes sense why I wouldn't know They're that. They're not that close, everyone. <laughs> no, but you know who is close? Iris and Graham, apparently so close that whenever Iris makes a an internet friend and lets her move into her house for a few weeks, Graham's like, it's open season. <laughs> Although I will say in, in all uh, seriousness, I actually really liked how they came together because it wasn't him pursuing her like he was openly flirtatious and everything but she's like I'm only gonna be here a couple weeks and I need something to feel the way I want to feel so why don't we go put on our pajamas and read by the fire well she did bring a large stack of books with her I don't think she ever read them I don't think so either though I was very interested to see what the prop people chose as like what would this woman be reading I know. It was The Kite Runner, Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, Atonement, uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, fuck J.K. Rowling. Let me broaden that. Fuck turf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Get out of here. I mean, Atonement, you know, had that one sexy actor that I like in it and Kira Knightley. I love Kira Knightley. Here's the thing. I will allow exactly two women to play in period pieces. And that is Kira Knightley and Emma Thompson, and the rest of them can get fucked. Some strong words. I know. We were coming out with some strong opinions in this episode. I know. This might be pretty divisive. And honestly, I don't even think it's going to be about <laughs> our opinions on this movie. No. It's just going to be the side tangents that people are going to have a problem with. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need something to rally everyone back together. What's something that everyone can agree on? Everyone can agree that Betty White was a national treasure and she was taken from us too soon. That is correct. Allow us to have a moment of silence for Betty White. Thank you. Okay, so I know that, I know the answer, but if we had to choose to either spend a few weeks, spend the holidays in 
Iris's cute little cottage or Amanda's palatial estate with everything that you could have ever wanted. What what do we choose? The cottage. I don't know why you would think it was anything but the cottage. I literally just said like five minutes ago that I wanted to live there. I know. I actually, whenever people are like, oh, what's your dream home? I actually legitimately tell them, do you know the cottage from the holiday? That's it. That's all I want. That and Miss Honey's little cottage in Matilda. Yes. Yes. Serena gets it. Well, she only watched Matilda about three trillion times. I love Miss Honey. In her lifetime. I think that was honestly a good number. I think it's actually a little low. Yeah. Those are rookie numbers. I've also watched Hairspray a lot. There was like a year where I just watched Hairspray every morning. I woke up before everybody and just watched Hairspray. Good morning, Baltimore. More like good morning, Serena. Am I right? I also played the High School Musical 3 karaoke game every morning when I wasn't watching Hairspray. I had fun as a child. Okay, I know that we've kind of talked about that we favor Iris, but I do want to ask what our favorite character pairing is in the movie. Iris and Arthur. That's a friendship for the ages. True. That's the only correct answer. I think that's why I like Iris's storyline, because not that Cameron and Jude can't be off in England doing whatever the heck they're doing. Apparently pajama party books in front of the fire. Well, this is a family-friendly podcast, Chelsea. Clearly. Rated E for everyone. (laughs) But, like, I think Irish's journey is really compelling, but I love that part of that is, like, she just stops to help this guy that she's seen earlier. The warmth inside her to reach out. and, and, And look, I hate talking to people. I don't ever want to talk to anyone. I think that's probably something that has been socialized uh, the further and further we get from, you know, community stuff. I feel like we've talked about this before. Getting Mm -hmm. back to community. And I think that Iris, like, took the opportunity to do that. And I know it's also, like, the holiday and people tend to be more generous around the holidays. But he, like, sits there and tells her, like, what what, what is he? He says something like, you're a leading lady, but you're acting like the best friend. Which, like, what a line. Mm-hmm. And then her and Jack Black bond over helping him because, like, he doesn't want to acknowledge this achievement. I think mostly because he thinks that it's like a pity thing. And then, like, when he goes in the theater and he sees all the people and he gets so overwhelmed, and then they wrote him that song. Like, that's there's just so much love in that. And I think, like, look, I, I've said this multiple times at this point on this show, but there are so many types of love. And I think that even in a romantic comedy where romantic love is at the forefront, you can show those other kinds of love. All of those kinds of love fill you up, like, and make your life full and whole. And so this movie did that with these other characters. And I think that's why I like Iris's story so much. You do get some of that on the other side, across the pond, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's got these kids. And so, they, you know, there's some dynamics there, but it's still very much about their relationship. Those are my feelings. I agree. Absolutely. I think that Arthur is, well, I mean, Chelsea, I've said it before. I'll say it again. And you know this very well about me. I love side characters and it didn't feel like because Arthur's story could have just been a vehicle to have Iris and Miles together, but they respected the character and they respected the storyline enough to where that was not the case. And the primary evolution with Iris was not what a lot of different rom-coms with other 
actors, plots, and directors would do, which would be, oh, well, she's just unlucky in love. Let's fix her up with this perfect pairing, and then she'll be whole. She became whole herself, by herself, by choosing to create the relationship with Arthur, choosing to reframe how she views herself in proximity to others. And that's when they introduce the dynamic with Jack Black where they could have a romantic relationship. It's only at the point where she's found the value in herself, started viewing herself as the leading lady, that she can now be open to the relationship with Jack Black and Jack Black doesn't openly and actively pursue her before she reaches that point either and that I really liked obviously they were flirty he made it apparent that he wouldn't mind pursuing something with her but it wasn't you know the overt oh my god please go on a date with me oh we'll be perfect together that sort of thing it was just one of the most natural progressions of a relationship that I've seen in a romantic comedy which is why it kills me that my roommate when I said what we were watching she's like oh yeah uh, Cameron Diaz, they go to England, like complete. I mean, I don't know the last time she saw it, to be fair, but completely didn't even remember Kate Winslet's storyline at all. And I was like, I'm heartbroken. Oh, yeah. That's the best part of the movie. I agree. I will say, too, that uh, I liked Jude Law's character. And uh, is this going to sound so bad? I like that he was positioned as like a widower because it's the whole lost love thing that people can really sink their teeth into. And then, of course, you have the tiny little British kid. Everybody loves a child with a British accent. I love children with British accents. They're just so, they just sound so tiny. It's so cute. You wouldn't say that if you watched The Haunting of Bly Manor. Okay, that kid, he was in The Sandman. Honestly, he was in it for five seconds in the very first episode, but I was like, I don't trust him. Fool me once. No, thank you. Serena, you like slightly spooky things sometimes. Occasionally. Depends on what it is. It's also gay. I assume you like gay things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, The Haunting of Bly Manor is both spooky and gay. I'm sold. Okay, look. Jude Law, not necessarily my thing. But Jude Law in glasses is just correct. Oh, I want him to say really smart things that I've never heard before. He is adult Gansey. Those who know, know. That is correct. When did they stop doing voiceovers for movie trailers? It must have been somewhere around. This is 06, this movie. It had to have been somewhere around that because I'm... I know that the original Princess Diaries trailer, which would have been a one, has a voiceover. But like it used to be like, in a world. It's like that guy. <laughs> but they had it for a lot of movie trailers. And now I feel like it's it's pieced together. Like we just stylistically, the trailers we have now are very different. And there's not all those cut screens. But like that's what Amanda does is cut trailers. And so there's all the cut screens to like say things about the movie while interspliced with scenes, while interspliced with a voiceover narrating what is going on or like some kind of synopsis. The best part was her stress, her anxiety manifested as a voiceover talking about whatever was going on. Amanda is (laughs) not lucky in love. She had the guy, the house, the everything, but it wasn't enough or like she couldn't make it work or whatever. Really great. 
And I will say, too, that the voiceover element is actually from the works that I've seen with Nancy Meyer. She actually loves a good character voiceover. So, you know, the character voiceover that we see in the beginning with Kate Winslet. She also does the same thing with Father of the Bride. She actually takes it a step further in Father of the Bride. And the opening scenes of that is... um, Steve Martin looking directly in the camera, like speaking to the camera, explaining how he got to where he was. I would say that Nancy Meyer is the only thing holding the voiceover together. Yeah, I like that uh, conspiracy board behind you. I ran out of red string, so the color change doesn't actually mean anything other than the fact that I have to go to the store. Don't look too closely. Your picture's not in the top right corner. It's me. I'm the reason that there's no more voiceovers. In the words of our Lord and and Savior, Taylor Swift, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. You are the problem. Correct. My blood (laughs) pressure every time you bring up Taylor Swift on my podcast. It's going higher and higher. I don't think I was a good guest to have on them. I also only talk about Taylor Swift. I can't handle this. My sister, now your sister. What's next? Who's next? Actually, Taylor Swift will be joining us. (laughs) (laughs) It's so crazy. After she fist fights Ticketmaster in a Kmart parking lot, she will be featured on our podcast. You guys can talk about that one episode of New Girl that she was in. Cece's first wedding yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i don't care what your mother says i'm not too tall for you (laughs) exactly and then she just picks him up and carry no she gets picked up yeah in my head i always reverse that and just picture her carrying the groom i honestly would have liked that i think it could happen that way too fun observation about these characters they're all storytellers jack black is a composer Iris writes for a newspaper. Jude Law is a book editor. And then Cameron Diaz cuts uh, trailers for movies. I find that all very lovely. And even Arthur, I I mean, he worked in film. So really any role he would have had fits into that. It does seem like he might have had some writing experience. So anyway, I was trying to come up with theories as to why I love this movie. When I hate so many rom-coms. It's because Arthur gives Iris an explanation of what a meat cute is after saying that they had a heck of one. That was so sweet. It's just adorable. And I just, just to go back to Arthur, like the idea, like the warmth I feel seeing two folks who are in need of company share their time together and genuinely enjoy learning about the other person. I don't know what that is, but bottle it up, I'll buy 12. (laughs) I want it known that for years now, I have said that the only place I want to live at my current age is a senior living center because I think they would be the best company. They'd be like, you're the granddaughter who never visits me. And I will be like, shut up, Pamela. We are in the middle of bingo and I am smoking your ass. I think you would fit in. Serena, would you visit me? I can bring you some like cookies or something. You could play solitaire with the old ladies. I would love that. I love solitaire. I was actually playing solitaire earlier. <laughs> I'm glad to know that you're dependable. I can just assume something that you're doing, and that's exactly what you're doing. Or doing a puzzle. I really... I need to get out one. Maybe you should just go live at a senior center with me. Do you want to be next-door neighbors? Yeah, we can do that. I'll play solitaire and do puzzles. 
and you can just talk to people since I don't do that. I personally hate puzzles. I hate puzzles so much. I love them. That's like all me and my roommate did. Last year, we literally did so many puzzles last year. It's ridiculous. I think I would rather chew my own arm off, coyote ugly style, than be forced to do a puzzle. I do agree with you about puzzles. I have no patience for them. I don't understand. You had a perfectly lovely portrait or painting, and then you broke it up into the little pieces and went, fix it. And that's the game? That's a <laughs> dumb game. Not to bring it back to my man Jack Black in this film, but the blockbuster scene. Look, I know we just said that whatever trauma's inside me is clearly whatever flavor of trauma Iris is dealing with, but I am Jack Black in Blockbuster. He's just pointing out movies. He's singing songs. He's just trying to get her to laugh. Never related to somebody more. The other day, I said something about how adults don't have enough opportunity to be silly. I agree. Adults do not have enough opportunities to be silly. I myself am a very silly person, and I just think people are too serious, you know? I think that's the greatness of Jack Black and this character, because that's what he's always been really good at, is being that character who's unapologetically silly. But in this, it wasn't undercut with the typical, like, ridiculous comedic angle. It was just him being very genuine. And I liked it more. You know what, Chelsea? I take back any comment that I made about Jack Black being an odd fit for this role. Because I I wish you could see what she was doing. It looks like she just won the Olympics. Look, I love to win. So I will repeat (laughs) my old song. This is the reprise from episode seven. Everyone at home, I am winning. I'm changing. You know, we started this podcast so that Madison could change my mind about rom-coms. But I have realized that this is just a challenge for me to bring her over to the dark side. And honestly, (laughs) my plan's working. So I don't think that Jack Black constitutes the dark. He doesn't constitute the dark side. I just like that I'm uh, making you agree with me all the time. That's fair. I can allow that. I mean, I never had a problem with it in the beginning, but I think that he should have been given more opportunity to play roles like this so that we could become more accustomed to him in a role like this. But not even he remembers that he's in this movie. I think that was my thing. It was just that I don't do good. I don't do well with change. So seeing someone that I'm used to seeing a certain way in a different way is not, doesn't compute well in my brain. And that's the problem with typecasting, everyone. That's true. You pigeonhole these actors who have honed their craft, and then you don't give them the opportunity to really show us what they've got. And then people like poor Serena are just thrown by a beautiful performance by Jack Black in a romantic lead position. And honestly, that's a tragedy. It is. I think, though, it kind of harkens back to when we watched The Birdcage and we were talking about how Nathan Lane was the primary comedic element and it gave Robin Williams time to shine in a more dramatic and serious element, still placed within a comedy, but he wasn't the primary comic relief. And I think this is just the same opportunity for Jack Black. And I will say, not to 
jump ahead too much. While this was most assuredly a comedy, I wouldn't say that it was as overtly comedic as some others have been. I guess the primary points of like physical comedy would be Cameron Diaz running and having to trudge the snow and everything. I think the flavor of comedy in this movie feels a lot more natural than other ones we've watched where it's very clear where the jokes are like you can feel the beat like you can you you know it's coming from the writing i think here you have character moments like her screaming the killers mr brightside iris doing a little like happy dance when she sees cameron diaz's giant la mansion and all of these tiny moments are very funny. Obviously, we talked about Jack Black in all the various things that he does. They're having like sushi and there's the like he like reaches for something and like touches her chest. And he's like, oh, so sorry. That was an accidental boob graze. And like it's very clear that like he's trying to apologize, but he's also making himself like feel better because it was, you know, it's like embarrassing. You don't want the other person to feel comfortable. So I think there's lots of those types of moments that are funny but they're funny in a way that like they feel very human. Does that make sense? Whereas that so I don't I don't it doesn't feel forced, which is not to say that some of these comedies feel forced, but like you can tell that they're trying to make a joke. And here the laughter just felt like, oh, I'm laughing because this is a thing that happens. Yeah, it's not a really built in setup, knockdown, punchline situation and I would say that I think that's the best thing about this movie in whole is just how naturally everything sort of came together even if you could argue that the beginning of how everything happened was a bit contrived of you know like a random house swap I feel like this could and could not happen in this day and age of like hey stranger come live in my house for a week and I'll come live in your house for a week. I say that but Airbnbs exist. Yes, but Airbnb um you're not trading houses. Like I I feel like the the impression I got from this house exchange was that like they're not paying each other with money, which honestly what a system. I know. You go stay in my house. I'll come stay in your house. You know, that cuts expenses, which not that Cameron Diaz needed to cut expenses. She's flying first class to England, which from L.A. Did you see that? She got a freaking bed. Okay. Oh, yeah. But I mean, Iris seems to live a much more modest life. I mean, she seems to have property, perhaps. Pretty sure they said that her parents owned the publishing house. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Okay. It was something like yeah. that. So it's generational wealth strikes again. You can't get through a movie without it. Well, no. We Well, we can't have a rom-com protagonist have a job that would pay them to live at the means that they live because if we can remember going all the way back to You've Got Mail, she's living in Manhattan as a bookshop owner, specifically a children's bookshop. But you just have all of these people either working really quirky jobs or working normal jobs that don't pay shit, but they always have the nicest places to live. Honestly, there's not a lot of, I feel like, TV. Like, unless the point of it, and it's usually a drama, is like, these people have a hard life. Then that's the only time where... But if you're just supposed to like, oh, I just want to tell a story... They don't want to rub up against, uh, you know, 
the challenges in the real world, which I think can be frustrating about romantic comedies. I also think that's why a lot of them look very similar. Read heteronormative white. Yeah. Because it's like, well, it if we're going to change those things, we then have to address uh, the problems uh, that arise when these characters are living in a world where people are like, screw you. That's fair. Okay. We've talked about what we like about the movie <clears throat> Arthur and, and Jack Black. But all in all, is this movie a rom-com? I would say. Oh, well, Serena, you can't just oh, say well, it's a rom-com, Serena, okay? Like I didn't. Sorry. We have criteria that we have to meet that we have carefully devised through decades of research. Mm -hmm. We're professionals. We put in a lot of effort before we even turned on the mic. And we never have any technical errors or anything mm -mm. either. Honestly, perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Incredible. In all seriousness, is this a rom-com? The questions we need to answer are the following. Do they date? Are there moments in which the audience sees a connection between the romantic pairings, in this case, because there's two, deepening? So these can be dates, flirtation, blah, blah, blah. It might look a little bit different. Depends on the situation. The second question is, did we laugh? Were we meant to laugh by things that were happening, whether or not that was successful? I feel like we've, I honestly, I don't even really want to ask this question. We just talked about this. Of course we laughed. We just talked about the comedy. Mm -hmm. The comedy is there. So check. We got one. The last question we need to answer is, is love in the driver's seat? Is the plot driven forward by the romance? Is that what is propelling the story forward? We've said that we've laughed. So do they date? I would say, yeah. Please elaborate and support your thesis. Oh, God. No, no. I'm on break right now, Madison. You cannot do this to me. You you can't escape, Please. Serena. Okay, we we graduated from the same program I think you're in currently or something similar. And here we are using our degrees <laughs> to analyze romantic comedies. That rhymed, which I didn't <laughs> think it would, but I enjoyed it. And you also wrote a paper in two hours and submitted it one minute before the deadline. So... You should be prepared to do this. I did do that. Your whole degree process has been leading up to this moment. You can't flake now. What was the question again? <laughs> the question is, do they date? Are there moments in which we see them connecting? I mean, yeah. I mean, with, um, I mean, Iris and Miles, they were my favorite part of the movie. So I'm just going to talk about them. But like they, you know, they had those moments like at the, the dinner party thing with Arthur the and Hanukkah his friends. Party. That was like a bonding moment and like the, the blockbuster scene. The accidental boob graze. Mm -hmm. That too. That yeah. was some really wild sexual tension. So yeah. It was borderline pornographic. It was so sticky and steamy. <laughs> I don't like those words. That was really just a torturous callback to music and lyrics for Chelsea. <laughs> I don't know what I saw in you as a co-host. <laughs> Did they do date? So that's two checks yes. for this movie. So moving on to the final and most important question, is love in the driver's seat? Okay, this is where I actually am of two minds because... Because there's two couples. Thank you, Serena. <laughs> actually, exactly. can you stay on afterward? I, I'm thinking I'm going to ditch Madison. You can be my new ho-ho host. <laughs> what Madison doesn't know is that she thinks these guests are on because I haven't watched these movies, but it's all been an elaborate ruse for me to interview other potential 
co-hosts for when I can no longer work with it's her. It's a trial run. <laughs> gotcha. You're just mad that my box is bigger because we are kept in boxes chained to the mic at all times by the real people running this show it's a deep state conspiracy and chelsea's still mad that my box is bigger because her name got listed first in the lineup on the logo it's alphabetical order wow and literally you cannot blame me i did not name myself it's true but you could rename yourself people do that all the time for good reasons and for bad reasons. True. Our sponsor this week is the ghost of Stan Lee. He makes cameos and everything. Why not Moonlight as the sponsor of our podcast? It's true. Yeah, he's actually not dead, but is in a vault. And he was put there by Kevin Feige. I knew he was an evil man. Allegedly. Allegedly. For legal reasons, <laughs> that was a joke. I'm going to move into a bunker now that I've said that. Okay, so we know they date, and we laughed. And to get back to is love in the driver's seat, I am of two minds because we have two couples. I believe that Cameron Diaz and Jude Law's story is very much the straightforward romantic comedy. Their relationship is what's driving her element of the plot. Because the main thing, too is her plot obviously starts before, but it's a breakup that compels her. So you could say inevitably love is driving her entire plot. However, when it comes to Iris, you could get cheeky and say that self-love is also driving everything and categorize that if you wanted to stretch it. But I would say that her plot is less driven by love and more driven by self-discovery. Although, again, you could say it's through the context of self-love or platonic love with Arthur and how that grows because her coming together with Jack Black's character is almost an afterthought to the primary elements of her personal plot, which I don't mind at all. But I would argue that the traditional romantic love is not in the driver's seat for her storyline like it is for Cameron Diaz's. I will agree with that assessment. Me too. However, there are two romantic pairings. And as one of them you've just stated is being driven by romance then I feel as if we're going to round up. We've said that it, it, no, 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 no. So we got three pieces yeah. of criteria. It already meets two and now it's a half. So 2.5, we round up to three. And that's how math works. Apparently I've never learned it. I had. I know for a fact, the, the three people on this screen are not qualified to be giving math advice. You would actually be surprised. Serena Leanne is actually excellent at math and enjoys it. That's disgusting. She is a sick fuck. An embarrassment to our people. I asked for math workbooks for Christmas one year when I was in like fourth grade. Now do you see why I used to tell her that I was a paid actor and not actually related to her? <laughs> Can't believe you. I know, she actually brought it up. Uh, well, no, I brought it up and you were elaborating on it. 
And my dad was like, maybe that's why you have anxiety, Serena. So what I'm hearing is you, Madison, should be paying for Serena's therapy, not your parents. Please, I cannot afford that much therapy. Besides, Serena, who would you argue um, fucked you up more? Do you think it's me, our older sister, or our parents? And if you choose our parents, which parent contributed more? I will be sending this to everyone in an audio Christmas card. So please speak clearly and loudly. I don't, I feel like answering this question is going to get me in trouble with someone. It's okay. None of our, none of our family listens to this podcast except for Kate. So just make sure that you say that it's her fault. No comment. (laughs) Smart. Pleading the fifth. That's media training right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm making notes. For my potential new co-host, Serena, media training. <laughs> she is qualified. Serena, can do math, might be good for future business opportunities. I can do math. I got like a four on the AP calc exam, so. That is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I just like threw up a hairball over here like I was a cat. All right, so this is a romantic comedy. It is. I must say, the moment where Kate Winslet's character, uh, Iris, breaks up with Jasper. Iconic. The emotional epiphany that she has in that moment and Winslet's performance is fantastic. Chills every time. And she gets like so excited in that moment, like the passion that's been building. And she's like, oh my God, I can't believe I've let you do this to me for so long. Get out of my house. I like and like she's not even mad at that point. She's just like so free. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and I think it really is again so genuine and so true to having a moment like that because anyone who has experienced that like holy fuck why have I been believing that this is all that I deserve? And that this was all I was meant for? Why did I think that? Get out of my face. Why did you ever lead me to believe that the bare minimum was the most that I could ever deserve or that you could ever provide? And it is just like that giddy relief feeling of holy shit. It's epiphanic. I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it one. I was questioning. I was like, oh, epiphany can be an adjective and not a noun? It can now. (laughs) This is the evolution of language with Chelsea Ciccone, Madison Hill, and Serena Hill. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like that voice that you I I was going for like the really gross audiobook voices that people... Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> hey, maybe some people will like it better than my excessive vocal fry and upspeak. Clearly, the three of us love Iris the most, and we love the L.A. Christmas in this movie is top-notch. Uh, but I do have something to say about the white Christmas they're having in England across the pond, and that is I understand that it's a take on the running through the airport thing for her to run to get out of the car and run down a snowy lane to Graham in a cottage. But surely the car would have been faster. She's in heels. It's icy. It's cold. I'm sorry, the car would have been faster. It would have been. And not only that, 
as someone who has absolutely busted ass uh, slipping on ice, wearing boots, the idea of running in, were they stilettos? I'm pretty sure she was wearing stilettos, running in snow. I'm like, one, ma'am, your toes, they done froze, all right? You can't sell those on Craigslist anymore. But two, how did she not slip? I did like the physical comedy moment, though, of when she, like, stopped to catch her breath and was like, oh, fuck, that was good. But maybe I'll have her run a little bit less, and that'll be one of my fixes for the movie. My other fix is just to recast uh, Cameron Diaz completely, but only because I have a weird vendetta. Okay, who are you going to cast? Look, I don't have a problem with Cameron Diaz, but I'm just very curious. That's a really good question, and I believe that my answer is Kate Hudson. I'm recasting her with Kate Hudson. Similar vibe, less vendetta against her, though. I'll allow it. They do have similar vibes. She was in Glee. Was she? No, 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 no. She was in Glee. Gwyneth Paltrow was. No. Well, yes, she was, but... She was? Who the hell was she in Glee? In season four. Okay, I probably had stopped watching at that point. Yeah, she was um, Rachel's, like, dance instructor. Who the fuck cares about Rachel? Who the fuck cares about Leah Michelle? Well, we can't uh, make fun of her too much because she cannot read and we cannot judge the illiterate too harshly. I think we can judge Leah Michelle for the other things, yeah. regardless of her literacy status. That is true. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now that we have established that this is a rom-com, we've established that we love all the characters except for the fact that I'm recasting Cameron Diaz. I want to say, though, do not change Jack Black, but if they made this movie now, like if they remade The Holiday, do you know who would be Jack Black? It would be, I think his name's Adam Devine, who was in Pitch Perfect. Yeah. They have the same energy. That would be who played Miles. Okay, so so if we're casting this now, who are we casting? So we have Adam Devine. Let's have him playing across. We need a British actress. Honestly, again, the only one coming to mind is Florence Pugh. I think I know exactly one British actress, and it is Florence Pugh. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's all I can. I think that she could go with like the softness of the role. I think that she could, I mean, she can do anything. Mm-hmm. She is hot and talented, so the world's her oyster. Okay, so Cameron Diaz will be played by that chick that I'm thinking of from Riverdale. Lily Reinhardt? That one. I could see that. It's not a perfect fit. She doesn't need to be blonde. I know. She doesn't need to be blonde. Okay, then if she does not need to be blonde... Hmm. Do I just not know any younger actresses? I don't think so. I think, Madison, you and I are entering that phase of life when all of your references for things are not in the zeitgeist. Ooh, what if we cast Haley Steinfeld? Ooh, okay, okay. That's a good one, yeah. I think that she could have the grit for it. And then who do we cast opposite of her? Haley Kiyoko. And have double Haley's. I love that. Oh. Okay. So we've recast this and it's perfect. And it's queer. And it's queer. So we've actually improved this movie, which already thought was pretty great. It's true. I don't know who we would recast as Arthur. He was just so quintessentially everything in this role. 
obviously we would have to recast him because he was this movie. He carried it on his frail, frail shoulders. Morgan Freeman. No, no. I think what we actually need to do, because the one thing that kind of like as much as I love Arthur would love if she could if she could be empowered by another woman. Julie Andrews. Yep. Okay. Yes. Julie Andrews. Hands down. And I want her to be an ex-opera singer. Okay. I don't want her to necessarily be in film. I want her to be a famous opera singer from a golden age of opera. And I want it to be Julie Andrews. And I want Florence Pugh to learn the greatness of Julie Andrews. Down for that. Now, I know that if we did that, the watchability score would be an instant five. What a stacked cast. But in its current iteration... What is our watchability score? And Serena, in case you do not know, you should know because you should be actively listening to every episode that we put out. But in the event that you're a terrible sister and you don't, um, that was a joke. The watchability score is very much based on Zillow's walkability score and it's a one to five rating. One is stranded in the desert. Two is back roads barbecue. Three is a strip mall in suburbia. Four is four blocks from a transit stop. And five is the best coffee is downstairs. And maybe we'll be more generous with our ratings because of the holiday season. Who knows? Where would you put it? What's your watchability score? Um, I would say probably a four. That's high praise. Yeah, I liked it. But it wasn't so good that it it's a five. Would it be a five if we did our recast? Honestly, maybe. I like that she doesn't just automatically believe in our project she's has a a healthy sense of skepticism maybe it would be a five yeah she'll reserve judgment though madison i might be too confident but (laughs) as women i think we should be more confident so we're gonna continue to just think we win 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 no matter what 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 Chelsea, where do you throw this? Honestly, look, it's the holiday season. I'm feeling pretty generous. I'm going to give it a five. This is a watchability score. This is a watchable movie. It's true. It's a it's an incredible And I say that as a cynic that hates most of these things. I love this one. <laughs> so five. It's a five for me. Oh, my God. That's the holly jolly spirit. You know what? I had the same reticence that I had in giving this a five as I did with Straight Up, where I was like, what if something better comes along? And that'll be fine. We'll add a six if that's the case. No, no, no. So you're looking at this, this wrong. You're looking at this wrong. You're, you're, we're, you're, we're not ranking these movies. We're talking about how watchable are they? That's, that's, very and I'm true. saying this is fucking watchable. It's true. You know what? It is fucking watchable. It gets a five. And the best coffee downstairs, you know what it is? It's a Cinnamon Dolce Latte with oat milk. Oh my god. Incredible. Why did you judge my coffee order, Serena? I just, I knew that it was coming. It was just predictable. Sorry. Do you have a problem with oat milk? No, it wasn't the oat milk. It was just... Because that'd be really homophobic if you had a problem with oat milk. Why would I have a problem with oat milk? I don't know, because I have lactose intolerance and I can't process dairy. And oat milk is what keeps me hip with the kids and lactose-free. So I don't know why you're judging it so hard. I'm not judging oat milk. You're putting words in my mouth. I never said anything bad about oat milk. This might be very... uh, gaslight gatekeep girl boss of me but i just cannot believe that you're on my podcast shit talking my coffee order 
Because it includes oat milk. I think it's the little sister's job to annoy you on your podcast. (laughs) I'd like to turn everyone's attention to episode three, where my sister had the audacity to talk about Joseph Quinn. (laughs) You know, Serena could also talk about Joseph Quinn. She's a huge Stranger Things fan. I am a huge Stranger Things fan. I actually got a new Stranger Things poster today. I don't have anywhere to put it, but I do have it. Serena. It is so close to Christmas. You have no wall space. Stop buying posters. I I don't hear you. Wow, you're literally pushing the headphones closer into your ears. You can hear me. Oh my god. Wow. The audacity of this moment. No one. I can still hear you through the door. It didn't. Mean you. <laughs> but uh, for our listeners who don't know, she just took out the headphone that she could hear us with. I feel attacked. I did nothing. <laughs> Oh, where does this put her now as a potential co-host? I don't know. If she's not going to listen to me, I'm making a note. Look, she's not <laughs> She's not out of the running. <laughs> All right. So we got a four and two fives, which by my math rounds up to a collective six. Fair enough. Good math, English major. <laughs> Any last parting thoughts about this film from anyone? lingering feelings i think that everyone should watch it everyone talks about watching love actually at the holiday season and it's terrible no one likes love actually the only reason why i like love actually is because there's a scene of emma thompson breaking down listening to Joni mitchell's both sides now and i will not tell you the number of times i have broken down in the last few weeks while listening to Joni mitchell's both sides now And is it because it has great lines like clouds illusions? I recall. I really don't know clouds at all. Yes. But if you love love, actually, you should watch The Holiday. It's got platonic love. It's got romantic love. It's got the warm, delicious holiday love that you're looking for when it's cold outside and you just need to cozy up with a blanket and some hot beverages, and just feel the holiday spirit filling you to the brim with joy. It's called The Holiday. That's that's it. It's That's a definite article right there, Madison. It is, and it definitely filled me with joy, just like Jude Law. Anyway, if you want to keep up with us on social media... You can follow us on Instagram at Love at First Screening. You can also catch us on Twitter, although I won't lie to you, Chelsea. I haven't caught, I, uh, kept up with the Twitter lately. Honestly, because- I was going to ask you if you just wanted to delete it. <laughs> I might. We'll let you guys know in the future. If Elon Musk continues musking up the place, then... Uh, that may dissolve. We may just have our favorite TikToker. Well, my favorite TikToker uh, help us create uh, one of the Tiki Takis. But in the meantime, um, you can still technically like reach out to us on Twitter at the Laughs Pod. That's T H E L A F S P O D. And you can also send us diary entries. I would say manifestos, but I it's gotten a really bad rap lately. So maybe like uh, a novel of your feelings about anything that we say. 
Luigi, that you think we should cover. If you have any recommendations, let us know. And more importantly, because we are major supporters of democracy and everyone's right to vote and make their voices heard. We ask that you vote every single week in our Instagram poll where we ask such hard-hitting questions as, what is the queerest food, Serena? Uh, I don't remember what it was. Serena Leanne, it's the most sapphic drink. A Negroni. A Negroni. Spagliato with Prosecco in it. It's the queerest food. But if you disagreed, as did someone, I won't name names, that's okay. Because it's your right to choose the candidate of your choice. Could have been hummus. Could have been macarons. Could have been sushi. And I will say that I am under the impression that there's just a certain queerness to French food that I love. So macarons, close second, but the Italian Negroni... Spagliato with Prosecco in it. One. Although, has anyone, have Chelsea, have you had a Negroni before? No, I think it's very booze forward though. So I don't know that it's a drink for everyone. So if you took the pith, like the, the bitter part of the rind from an orange and then soaked it in ethanol and then lit it on fire, that's what Campari tastes like. And that's like the primary flavor element of a Negroni. Uh, typically it's done with Campari and gin. The Spagliato, you're subbing the gin for the Prosecco. But either way, it tastes like terrible to me. Some people really like it and that's fine, but I wouldn't recommend it in real life. It's really fun to say though. Otherwise it's stunning. Ah, stunning. <laughs> But yes, you can vote uh, every week, Thursday or Friday, if Chelsea can't get her act together. She's only human for now. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a threat. Is that a threat or a promise? I don't know. I'm feeling kind of squirrely today, guys. Uh (laughs) (laughs) We're wilding out here. All right. Well, thank you so much, Serena, for joining us on this special holiday episode of love at first screening we are here every wednesday talking about all the rom-coms you love love to hate and everything in between so until next time 